0: What is a false teacher?
1: Why did Jesus warn us about false teachers? How can we tell a false teacher from a true one? And why is it difficult to spot a false teacher? Chris sits down with special guest Robert Iradia III, and they discuss these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends.
0: All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris, and today I am joined with Robert Iradia III, and he's going to sit down with me. We're going to talk about false prophets slash false teachers. And just to preface before we get into everything, false prophets and false teachers are are synonymous to to each other. They are basically the same thing. So for for the rest of this show, we're just going to say false teachers, unless false prophet slips out. But it's the same thing. We just want some continuity in the conversation. But again, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about watch out for false teachers, is going to be the theme. Also, with this episode, you're going to hear a lot of background noise. We're sitting inside the church recording, and we've got a gardener going on outside. They're going to set up some Christmas decorations in a little bit, so there might be a lot of
1: slamming doors and stuff. But anyways, Robert, tell me about yourself. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, so I'm here we uh, 22, going to be 22, and uh grew up in a church, but I know that means basically squat nowadays, going up in church. You could grow up in church, but not in Christ. And as it says, you can know all the hymns, but you don't know him as a heavenly father. So did grow up in that. So I would say for the majority of my life, I knew God. But again, there's a difference knowing God and knowing knowing about God and knowing God. You know, all the people can know the word of God, but not the God of the word. And so I always like, I grew up in a Christian school from kindergarten to eighth grade, went to a Catholic school, St. John Bosco School for sports, and then off to college. And when I was off at college, that's when my relationship to God actually became real. You know, nothing uh, really... Uh gets you closer to God, like uh, trials and tribulations, afflictions, and all that stuff. And um, yeah, they're not uh, an elective course in a Christian life. They're uh, a required course for trials and tribulations. And so I went through that and uh, lost a lot of things. And then it came to the point where I thought I lost my relationship with God. But then I realized what revelations said, you have left your first love. And then I remember I was just had a lot going on and then I passed by a church and he was like you know what why not and it was Saturday I went to church the next day for Sunday and then uh it was all right though the sermon was all right I was used to like my father's preaching which uh man he he goes hard okay (laughs) so he goes good so I was like all right but they had a worship night so I went to the worship night and uh they played like the song where you are I just want to be where you are I just want to be near your heart And the song ends with, I've never known a love like this before. I've never felt a touch like this before. And uh, in that thing, I was like, God, it says, I just want to be where you are, where I'm here, where you are. Why aren't you here? God, where have you been? That is, I would say probably the first time I've ever heard the Lord speak to me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so clearly, where I asked him, where have you been? And he says, where have you been? That right there just broke me. So ever since then, I was uh, the last week uh, the, with the last Wednesday of September, 2018. And so ever since then, it's just been going up of course, downs and ups, but my walk with God has been better like ever before. And, uh, when I actually came back, cause I was at college in Bakersfield due to certain circumstances, I had double hip surgeries. I had to come back. And when I was back here uh, in the summer, we, uh, 2019, we actually started our young adults group at our church Call it young adult BS, young adult Bible study. And our uh, slogan is what the world calls BS. We called BS Bible study. So, (laughs) uh, and then we say we're making BS majors. You know, we're going to be biblically sound. We're going to be biblically solid. We're going to be looking at the Bible, the scriptures. And that's what it is. And Charles Spurgeon actually says, there are no crown wearers in heaven that are first not cross bearers here below. And so it's all about bearing that cross and it's going to be a public thing. Can't be serving Christ in private because he died for us in public and all that good stuff. So ever since then, it's just been going good and been doing that for about over a year walk with God's doing so much better and really feel that my calling is for young adults, people like me, knowing what it is to know about God but not have that intimacy with him. Hmm. And so it's been going after young adults who are lukewarm. I understand them really well because I was them. That's just what my calling is right now. And so uh, my dad's told me from the get-go If you think you're uh, called to be a pastor, run. Run as fast, hard, and as long as you can, because if it really is God, he'll call you back. Because many days people think it's uh, rather something to apply for, like a job, rather than a calling. That's why I feel like there's such a rise in false teachers and uh, false prophets, because they think, I need to apply for the job. You know, it's something I'm going to do, rather than a calling. Many of them, unfortunately, are not called, and they're hurting more people than anything else. And so that's why I took my sweet time. With I've been told, "Oh, you're gonna be a pastor." I'm like, "No, I hope I'm not." I'm gonna run, 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 and I felt like I ran pretty good, but um, God's faster. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you don't get tired. So that, um, that's
0: a good way to look at it. Yeah, no, I, I feel very similar. My dad being a pastor too, growing up, and you know the and even my brother. And so there was always the, "When are you gonna get into ministry? Yeah. When are you gonna do it?" And I was like, you're Not. <laughs> yeah, I really wasn't. I was like, I I even remember a conversation I had with my dad. I had to be 18 and. I just said, Hey, what's wrong with just showing up to church? What's wrong with just being the guy who shows up, serves in something, gives his tithes and, and goes home. Like I could do that. There needs to be those people in the church. He said, that's not for you. And I said, well, that's, that's my choice. And well, look at it now, 20 plus years later or something now, and and even doing this, but all right, let's get into it. Cause you, you gave us a good segue in there with the false teachers and everything. So let's open it up with what is a false teacher.
1: False teacher, well, like, basically put, I've always felt like this. A false teacher is whoever says anything that's contrary to the word of God. That's just, like, how I've always felt like it was. It's just, like, God's word is the invaluable truth. It is. It does stand alone. And if it's anything going against that, it's a false teaching. And that's why I feel there's a big difference between a false teaching and a false teacher. There's a big difference with that because any young, aspiring, and uh, new pastor will say something that's going to be false. That doesn't mean they're a false Teacher means that's false teaching. I feel like when it comes a false teacher is when that person is unable to be corrected, that they cannot take that. When they're being told, hey, this is wrong, like Peter, he was told. He changed. Even Apollos, I think it's in Acts 26. He was teaching something, but then he was shown how to teach more truly the scripture and he corrected himself. It was a self-correction that was taken there. And so I feel like there's a very fine line with false teaching and a false teacher because it's been said that most the best theologians their theology is only 80% right. Um and the thing is uh we usually don't know what that 20% is. Right. And uh for more more people it's maybe 50%. And so it it just comes to that point where it's just like when we're corrected if we allow that correction to take place especially if it's by someone who's like a mentor to us or someone we trust, someone who has always been there, we should really take that cuz the only people who view correction as judgment are those who still love their sin. And I know for a lot of uh false teachers, I guess you could say, are people who are in ministry is is pride. That's a really big thing is pride. When they're corrected, they're like, no, I'm the one doing this or whatever. It's that certain level, especially for like I know males, like pride is just like they're stubborn. It's just like I know I'm hard headed and um one of the ways God changed me is by making the situation more uh uh harder than I was hard headed and so I would try to go up to it, boom, I break and crash against the wall and thinking I could do it. So I feel like that's a big thing, but I do feel like there is certain non negotiable truths. That we need to stick to like of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, his sinless life and his death, salvation by grace through faith as it's talked about. You know, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to scripture alone for the glory of God alone. That's what that's what it is. And if I know the Catholic Church, they said like, no, you're not.
2: You're Mm -hmm. saved by
1: anything else. And then, you know, an anathema that shows like if you believe that you're saved by grace through faith alone, let you be damned. And it's just like, whoa. So that is like as the difference between error and heresy. Because like heresy is basically that just goes after, that strikes the very heart of the gospel and the truth. It tries to take away and says, no, it's not this, it's this. It's not by faith alone, it's by works. It's not Christ, it's through any other mediators and all that other good stuff. Most young people I know, for me, I probably said some stuff that may have been false, but <laughs> I, I do know like Paul, he took his time learning when he was converted three years, and then he went out. So I feel like for me, I took that time as well. So I know I still probably said stuff which above my pay grade, I guess you could say. When it comes to certain stuff we could be wrong on, like election, predestination, uh, pre trip, post-trib, uh, speaking in tongues, stuff like that where it's just like what is the white horse and the four horsemen? Is, is it the Antichrist? Is it Christ? Is it a false peace that just a matter? What is it? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. So those are things where it could just be ever, which we don't know. That could be a part of the 20%, which we just don't know. But there are certain truths that the Bible does lay out and says, hey, this is what it is. Paul even says, if someone comes to preach another gospel that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so it's just, there's very certain things that we have to stick to of the gospel. And if we don't, that's where it goes from the thing. If you're corrected, it's no longer false teaching. It falls under the category of a false teacher. I I believe this is what you said, because after that, you said a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But uh, correction, when you're a false teacher, or the correction, you see it as judgment Oh yeah, so the only one that views correction as judgment are those who still love their sin. Yes, that's it, right there, nailed it. I really like that cuz that's such a good way to put it cuz
0: all of us, you're right, 100%, all of us at some point are going to teach something that's false. We could look at scripture, we could say, "Oh, wow, this I think this means this," and and go out and say it and then someone could be like, "No, that's not what it no, means." Someone yeah. who has even further study in the topic, especially yeah. when you get into
1: some of those I I won't touch revelations, man. That's just way too much going on for me. Yeah, it's just like, what? (laughs) To me, that's what I was drawn to. Like, I was like, oh, shoot, end time stuff, here we go. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking, and of course, I had my dad. So, I was able to get books for free, and yeah. he was able to show me, hey, here's who, here's who you look at, here's who you don't, and so I already kind of had that like that safeguard. And plus, also of course, hearing my father in church, like hearing the like the type of style of preaching, like how it's supposed to be. Like I know I may not have always paid attention in church. I've told this to him, so I don't really feel ashamed of it. Cause shoot, that's the old nature, the old <laughs> me, you know. Like there's some times where I was just when Flappy Bird was out. I don't know if you ever heard of that yeah. game. When I was just in church playing Flappy Bird, and I was just like, oh, new high score and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But my spirit was listening to that. And then once all that, it just kind of brought it up to me, you know, raise up a child way with Lori, when he was old, he will not depart from it. He will come back. But there are studies showing that that's changing. But at least for me, I'm hoping that that was it. And it's just like, how do you know you're elect? Just like, we don't know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's secondary. It's just that it came to you just to know. And I know something for me, I've been saying every single day, ever since I had my conversion or whatever you call it. It's a, a quote by George Whitefield. And uh, uh, it says like, Lord, if I'm not a Christian, show me what Christianity is for Jesus Christ's sake so that I may not be damned at last. Mm -hmm. And so for me, ever since that, I've been just saying it every single day. Lord, if I don't know what Christianity is, if I'm not a Christian, show me what it is, not for my sake, but for Jesus's sake, for his sacrifice, that I will not be damned because he died for the whole world. But it says in uh, Timothy, it's specifically for those who take hold of that and who believe in faith and rooted in obedience because those who don't, As uh, John puts it, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin, and the sin of the world is that they do not believe in the Son. And so we know he did die for the world, but it's taken hold of that through repentance and faith and obedience. So yes, it's a free gift to everybody, but not everybody will redeem that free gift, and they will find themselves on the opposite. And many Christians are under a false teaching, which leads to a false faith, because Satan doesn't care if you go to church. He, he really doesn't because I know it's a quote by Vance Havner and that says, like, he found, Satan found he could do more by, not by opposition, but by imitation. Rather than trying to, like, drive people out from the world into the church, he's now into the church driving people out. He's now infiltrated that. He doesn't care if you go to church as long as you're not changed by going to it because, you know, people think uh, like a measurement of fruitfulness of a church's size, but it's not. It's by faithfulness. Um, Leonard Ravenhill was the one who said, I'd rather have 10 Christians who are committed and faithful than 10,000 people who are just willing to play church. Right. And so when it just comes to it, it's just like being faithful in the teaching and understanding it and like, God, let me see what Christianity is. So I know what it is. Not by my standards, but by yours. What does your word say? Not by Americanized Christianity or anything like that. Not by this teachings, but what does the word say from it? And let me kind of go from there. And I know another one that's kind of like that, the correct one, is when it comes to the Lord's discipline. And that kind of falls on the line of correction. The only ones who view the discipline of the Lord as unloving are the ones who forgot that truth. And because it says in uh, Hebrews 12, 5, this is the exhortations what you have forgotten. The whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so the people who see discipline as unloving are the ones who've forgotten that truth. And so same thing, the only ones who view correction as judgment are those who still love their sin. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with that, with the whole correcting and the false teaching and the false teachers. When it comes to correction and the Lord's discipline, I know, I think it's A.W. it says, we need to heed the Lord's tap so we don't receive his raps, So we're not being covered up like that. And I've been wrapped up quite a few times and, you know, it's just like, it's tired of just getting that, getting to the point, listen before it happens. And then I was there. So now let's warn others about these people out there. Cause I know personally for myself, I never felt under that false teaching things. I, again, I was in church lukewarm. I get that, but I still knew, Hey, that's right. Hey, that's not all too right, but I wasn't living it. Mm -hmm. And so I do get that. And now I know like the other side of what it's starting to live. Of course, it's only been like two years, but the Lord has done a lot of me over these two years. He just he really has and I'm thankful and I know it's by his his grace alone that he's done that and um I'm just happy to keep going with it and seeing what else he has to do with these ne- next coming things and as I warn uh my fellow young adults, why did Jesus warn us about false teachers because they're out there <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a simple answer yeah, right
1: because they're out there yeah, it's just because they're out there and uh it's also so that uh, so that we can recognize them it's just like you I know for like it's a thing for uh, like fighting you can't hit what you can't see. And it's just usually the punch that hits you is the one that you don't see. And so if we're not aware of false teachers even being out there, how can we even recognize them? That kind of goes into the next question, so I know we'll get into that in a second. But it's all intertwined and interwoven mm-hmm. together and in how it actually all plays with it. But Christ warns us about false teachers so we can recognize them. And if you actually look at Matthew, uh, the previous passages, when it's uh, Matthew seven thirteen 13-14, it's showing us the difference between the wide and the narrow gate. And uh, here he warns us about false teachers. Because he's called their uh, listeners to decide. Are they going to go the wide or the narrow? You know, it says, like, you know, you look at Elijah going against all the prophets of Baal. I think it was 1,400 or, or a couple hundred or something like that. Um, And it was just him, one versus all those. And we know who won that, but still, few and wide. And so he's calling them to make a decision here, calling them to make a choice like, hey, The way of destruction is through the false prophet, through the false teachers, because they're leading that way. They're not preaching according to the word, but according to their own agenda. And I feel also what really does characterize a false teacher for the first question, when Peter was with Jesus and he he told him like, no, like may never be when he was going to die. And then he looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your interest on man's rather than God's. And I feel like that's also a key description of false teaching. When you set your, your interest on man's rather than God's, you're doing it for your benefit. Uh, you know, I just want to be popular, or I just want to be this or that or whatever. But to get back on the thing, it's, uh, it's showing there, even us, it's just like a uh, man's interest is the way of the wide, but God's interest, it's the way of the narrow and false, uh, teachers, or as the passage says, false prophets, um, one and the same, it's going to show us that, hey, the way to destruction, that wide gate, that wide path is what those false teachers are actually saying. And so he's warning us of that, that if you want to stay on that narrow path, Heed to the word, heed to my teachings, listen to what I am saying. Because Matthew 7, it's deep. It gives always one of two, one of two, one of two. That's just what it is. And there's biblical consistency to show that maybe the people that make it to heaven, it's only 50% of those who profess to be Christians. Because the next passage right after this goes with it. And so there's biblical consistency. There's even biblical consistency one of four people that only make it the sower and the seed. One of four were right, the other, the three weren't. And then you have the thing of the people. With the Pentecost, there was 500 people that Jesus appeared to, and he told them to tarry and wait. But then when we see when come Pentecost, only 120, if you do the math, that's about one-fourth. So there's still biblical consistency showing wide and narrow. And he's telling us, hey, the way of the false teacher, that is the wide. Make a choice here. Are you going to follow the wide or the narrow? And that is what I see going, keeping it in its context, why he's really describing it here. That he warned of these false prophets because they were already also present in Israel as well they were already there. So he was letting them know. And um, Jeremiah 23, 16 says just to back up that they were there in Israel and throughout Israel's history is it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They're leading you into error. They speak of a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. So he's telling us this as well, because he also does say in the last days in Matthew 24, verses four through five and 11, uh, it says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Verse 11, many false prophets or false teachers will arise and mislead many. So that leads us to the other thing that it's going to mislead as well. So he warns us so because they're out there. And then he warns us about them because um, we need to recognize them. And he warns us because they're already here. And then he warns us because they will mislead many. That is the reason why he does that, and that just reiterates and goes back to the imagery of the narrow road. Which way are you going to be going? Are you going to be misled? The wide road, it's easy to find the narrow road. That's where we have to keep our eyes on the cross, as it says in uh, Hebrews 2, and keep following after him, not after ourselves. Deny a cross and and keep going after him. So we know Christ warned us and to keep us to recognize him, but also to we really know that they're here in the present time. So we must be warned as well that false teachers will come in. they are here. And if we uh, don't know... I know pastors say if you don't know about false teachers, it's because maybe your pastor is one because he's not warning you about it. <laughs> so I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. Yeah. That's um, a good point. So though. it's just like, yeah, if your pastor's not calling out the wolves, maybe he is one. Yeah. And so it just kind of gets you to kind of think, like, do I actually hear about these things in the service or do have I ever heard about them? Because, you know, it's like a very specific thing to talk about. So have you ever in a church ever heard that before? If not, maybe it's just like, oh, you're just a new convert or maybe you just haven't been there that long or maybe. It's never been talked about. That's kind of its own area of its own, but that's another way. So they will arise from among us, and if we are not careful, we may be uh, led astray by them, or even worse, we may become one of them, as uh, the Ephesian elders did.
0: That's a good point, that we could become one of them, because I think a lot of times people look at false prophets or false teachers as the people behind the pulpit. Yeah. But if we're living a life that's contrary to Christ, then we ourselves are false teachers. We are falsely teaching who God is to the people around us when we go out to minister to them or just when they're looking at our lives in general. So we ourselves can be that, which I guess is a good way reason why Jesus is warning them, right? Because, yeah. hey, watch out for false prophets. Watch out. Don't be a false prophet. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we can we can get caught up in the idea that it's just the people who preach the gospel are false prophets. But the reality is I can be a false teacher every day of my life by just not living up to God's standards. Yeah. And we I guess the term we use for that is hypocrisy. Yeah. But they're one and the same, in my opinion. I'm going to go into the next question. I'm going to kind of combine the next two. But before I do that, can you and everybody listening do us a small favor by leaving us a five-star rating, a quick review of how this podcast has helped you, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcasting platform you listen on. This will help us get our podcast out to more listeners. Finally, don't forget about our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. We got videos up that would take you through the whole book of Philippians, all previous episodes of the podcast, and more content to be added soon. It's your yourchurchfriends.rocks. Why? Because we rocks. Now let's get back to that combined question. Yeah, and I saw that too. Yeah. They, went, to, was they like, went together. They're very <laughs> parallel. So I'm just going to combine it into why is it so difficult to spot a false teacher and how do we know
1: what the real false teacher or a real teacher is, a true teacher? Yeah, I saw that as well, where I was just like, this is kind of like, you know, one and the same right here. And they really go together nicely. And I was having a hard time separating them. I was just like, how do I do this? Like, in a way, but how I got it, like, why is it difficult to spot a false teacher? Because in order to recognize false teachers, we must recognize that they are coming because they already may be among us, as we talked about. And if we don't recognize this reality, then we may be unprepared and possibly led astray. We just may be. And so it's important and it's difficult at times too, as well, because False teachers, they often masquerade and they disguise the truth. That's just thats just what they do. They masquerade it as wolves in sheep's clothing, as this passage puts it. They are wolves in sheep's clothing following their spiritual accursed father, as it says in Corinthians, who masquerades as an angel of light, even though he has no light in himself. And it says he does that, so no wonder that his servants also are servants of the pure servants of life, but their end is destruction. And so it's very clear about that, that it is disguised, it is kind of hidden, it is secret, it is masqueraded, and that's why it's hard to do it at times, because they are, they are disguised. And as you say, with hypocrisy, and I know something, it tells us, you know, how we're supposed to warn and everything as well, Do do it in love and everything, but what I always see is people, like, abandoning the truth when they're doing that. And I know it's a quote that says, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And so... I, like, I know if you have to choose one of the lesser, I would rather be brutal than like hypocritical and everything like that. But of course we know we're supposed to put them together. I just know sometimes no matter how loving you put the truth, people will still have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Just no matter how many times you do that. But when you abandon the truth, you start to get into hypocrisy realm. And this is where that false teacher kind of – you always see people exchanging the truth of God, not the love of God. You always see people saying, oh, God loves me. Well, great. I love me too. You know, he has a wonderful plan with my life. Great. You know, he has plans for me, a future and a hope. That's what I want. But then when you tell people, hey, repent or be corrected or, hey, change that they really go another way with it. Like what? And that's why in Romans 1, it says they traded the truth of God for a lie. Not they traded the love of God for a lie, but they traded the truth of God for a lie. And that's where they kind of come in right here. When Christ calls for his disciples to be careful of false teachers, he describes them as wolves in sheaths clothing. And it's actually more accurately that he wasn't saying that wolves are pretending to be sheep, but illustrating and referring to that they are pretending to be shepherds rather than sheep. Because we know like the preacher and everything, he's the shepherd like you know he's the one leading the church he's the one going right there and so for the church and for his body for the people that god's put in charge and he's the shepherd and everything like that but we know christ is the good shepherd and so before he's probably not saying they're sheep and wolves clothing but rather they're wolves dressed in shepherd's clothing Because that's what they're trying to do. And I think they're trying to disguise themselves. Either way, it's something that is hidden. And in those days, shepherds typically wore woolen clothing, which came from uh, the sheep that they cared for. And false prophets or false teachers pretend to be the shepherds who care for the flock. But they're really wolves that are trying to destroy the flock. That is just their main goal right there. They feast on unstable and immature believers, those not trained and obedient in the scripture. I know we'll get into the truth later, but to me, it's it's just the word. It always goes back to the word. If it's not going back to the word, it's not going back to Christ because in the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God and the word became flesh. And so it's very uh, crucial that we understand this to see how we're supposed to uh, combat false teachers, but that's what they usually go after. They usually say something just like for some people saying, you know, God broke the law for love. If we know scripture, we know, no, that's not true. Absolutely, that's not true. That's something we have to get right. And if we get that wrong, we're playing a dangerous game. So they feast on an unstable, and in fact, sometimes false teachers mimic the clothes of true prophets. I know in the Old Testament, when it comes to mind, was Elijah. What they did is, you know, they know him by the simple, uncomfortable clothing that symbolized the forsaking of the comforts of the world. And Elijah, he often wore animal clothes. And therefore, false teachers will wear summer clothes to deceive others as well, thinking, oh, you know, they have that stature. You know, they just they kind of look like that. They're presenting themselves in a way. If you're in the military, you wear a military uniform. If you want to impersonate to be a military officer, you put that on. And people think, what? They don't know any better. They just see the uniform. And they think you're of that. And that's deceptive. And that's what they were trying to do as well. In Zechariah 13.4, it says, Therefore, on that day, each prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies and will no longer wear hairy garments of a prophet to deceive the people. So it's showing right there. No, they're not gonna be doing that. It's gonna be evident. Or it's kinda be hard, but they will be shown in this passage clarified that. There were wolves in shepherd's clothing seeking to deceive others. In the same way. Today, false teachers, false prophets, they often come in pop popular evangelical clothing. You know, the typical thing, the ripped jeans and everything, mm-hmm. the kind of shirt and everything, the beard and then the, the the rolled up sleeves and everything, and they kind of just to look like that, it's just like it appeals to the eye. It's just like, oh man, you know, he looks like me. He's talking I'm like, oh man. But what we're not doing is we're not seeing whether if it's keeping accurate with scripture or not. We just think, oh, sounds good. Just like it says in Timothy, the itching ears, you know, they will turn aside again from truth and chase after myths. So they're not doing it. The Lord told us that we have itching ears, but He never gave us the commission to scratch them. He never said, go ahead, scratch that it. He told us no. Listen to my word. This will satisfy you. So that's what they often do. They often come in the same clothing, the same appearance, the same, all of that. And that's why at times it's hard to do it. You know, maybe they even go to the seminaries. They even go to things. They use the same lingo, the same language and all of that. But they reject the power that can make them godly. They appear godly in Second Timothy three five says. They appear godly, uh, godly but they reject the power that can make them truly godly. Stay away from people like that. And again, it's hard to know that without reading our word. Yeah, it's really hard to do that without reading a word they often know scripture well for even the double quoted scripture at the word i mean shoot jesus was a word and jesus was probably <laughs> like hmm you know i don't remember saying that or i don't think that's what it means it's like someone trying to tell me something about my life and they know it better than me it's just like no that's not it and so if we know that satan's going to do that to jesus the written word the living word the walking word what makes it think he's not going to get to us? I know John MacArthur said, make sure that Satan has to climb over a lot of scripture to get to you. And and it is true. And if we're not in our word, false prophets and false teachers are going to come in what sounds good rather than what sounds true, and we're going to follow after it. And that's why it makes it very difficult at times, too. And we just go after it, and we're just going with it. that kind of leads into the second one. How can we t- tell a false teacher from a true one? Because Satan, he's a counterfeiter. He's a main one. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. That's his baby right there. He has a false gospel preached by false ministers, producing false Christians, saying plants his false counterfeits wherever God plants true believers, the separation of the wheat and the tares. We know that they grow together. God, and then the servants come to him. Should we separate them? No, let them grow together. When it comes to the point in day, I will take them. I will separate them. I will wrap the, wrap the tares up, bind them, and throw them in a fire. But the wheat, no, because if you pull them out, they may get pulled out as well. So we know we're going together right now. That is what is happening, and that's what Satan often does. He grows and where there's true believers there. That's what he does. And uh, again, Leonard Ravenhill says, all you have to do is get a closer walk with God to find out that the, uh, the enemies are in your own church. It is our. And uh, it's sad really to say, but that's how it's always been. You go all the way back to Jesus, you look at Judas. It's, it's, it's always there. That's why it calls the, the call for us to always be praying, always be reading our word, always be close to God because we will know them by their fruit. And that's how we can tell a false, false teacher from a fruit one. Uh, they may already be among us and we may not be prepared, but we will always recognize them by their fruits. We just are, you know, like if I plant an orange tree, it's not going to produce great. Uh, orange tree is not going to produce apples. It just won't do that. It doesn't, it goes against everything like that. I do know a passage that it does say, it's Jeremiah 12, 2, where it says you have plants in them. They have even taken root. They grow, they even produce fruit, but you are near their lips, but far from their minds. So it even gets to the point where they're planted, they grow, they take root. They even produce fruit. But the needle lips far from the minds, and that's where it goes past just that. That's where it comes from, the discernment. You know, from the judging, not as a world judges arrogantly and superficially, but with righteous judgment, as John 7, 24 puts it. We do not judge arrogantly or like that, but we judge with righteous judgment, discernment. Judge between good and evil. And Spurgeon says discernment is not just judging between what is right and wrong. It's judging between what is right and almost right. And that is what false teachers do. They're right on the edge, you know. They're right there. The Christ is rather a talking point rather than a main thing. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh yeah, let's mention Christ here. So we mentioned him, but he's not the main text. He's in the margins. That's just where he's at. He's not the backbone. He's again again just a point of reference. And if Christ is not the point of, if it's not the backbone, then what is the backbone? Because without the backbone, without the spine, you have nothing. You absolutely have nothing. You just have legs and arms, things are useless legs can't go anywhere without a spine arms can't do anything without a spine and so without the spine without the backbone without the the cornerstone of christ we don't have a lot and that's kind of what they do it's right and almost right to talk about christ but for their benefit for their desires or for whatever it may be and so we're seeing it right there that we will recognize them by the fruits because false teachers put on clothes of a true shepherd as we talked about wolves and sheep's clothing, or more accurately the scripted as he probably meant it is wolves and shepherds clothing, so we know that's what they do and they are hard to detect however christ says their fruit will ultimately manifest and be evidence or even just like it talks about in jeremiah passage they do have that fruit it looks good on the outside but inside it's rotting just like the house that looks all it's kept in order but you go in, it's disaster there's dead bodies there's a bunch of dead rats all over the place it smells it's just falling apart it's rotting from the inside out that could be how they are as well and so after a while it'll become apparent and evidence of that because a tree always produces fruit in lines with its character and the minister's fruit will eventually manifest whether if it's a couple of days weeks or maybe even years i know a guy his name was i forgot something grenner and he was in there talking against it but then the thing that came through was the the woke gospel you know all that coming through and he fell for that and he's like the president of some Baptist seminary, something like that, and they're calling for his resignation. So, Seneby has always produced his counterfeit lies, whether if it's the prosperity gospel, the woke gospel, the social justice gospel, you know, the LGBTQ rights gospel, and everything that, or the abortion stuff. He always does that, and I feel like that's a separation further of the wheat and the tares, of sheep and the goats. It'll show are we gonna stick to the truth of his word, or are we gonna look to the world for the validation? Are we looking to the culture to get validated? are we looking to christ are we looking to the government are we looking to god are we looking to feelings are we looking to faith what are we looking to if it's not the word if it's not rooted in that it's going to be wrong and some things may not be necessarily sinful and like wrong like that but hebrews clears that up again it says cast off the weights and the sin so certain stuff like that where people the bible doesn't talk about that but again are you setting your mind on man's interest or on god's are you are you having your minds on things above or things below what are we looking to? The word or the world? And that's where it becomes very clear when people put their own agenda above God's. Where God has said there's no distinction anymore between Jew and Gentile, Greek, or Greek or Roman, slave or free man, but all are in Christ and all are for Christ. And so when we see that, that kind of debunks all the stuff going on today. That God said, no, I died for all. I didn't just do all this stuff. So it kind of goes with that, but we're just seeing that the, it will eventually manifest. They're teaching their fruits it will come to light it'll be exposed and like Ephesians calls us to do that have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness or rather expose them and that's what it calls us to do and the most loving things you could do is expose a lie you know as i said earlier from that quote if i'm not a christian show me where christianity is so that i may not be damned at last so rather have some people be you know upset with you here you'd rather you know offend them in heaven rather than flatter them the hell you know give them the truth rather than give them lies And so that's what it just comes down to. Are we speaking the truth of the word or are we speaking the lies of the enemy? And I know a great pastor's name is Paul Washer. He was actually all over the American gospel. He says, you know, when people say, judge not, judge not, lest you be judged. And he says, well, twist scripture not, lest you be like Satan. Mm. And I'm like, ooh, burn. That's an out. out? Yeah, yeah, So that's an out Yeah, right there. and so he has like, he's a really powerful and he's one I, I started really getting into. And then I tell her all the time about it and listening to it. And we're like, oh my God. And it's like, just like these memes. And it's just like, Paul Washer was talking about me today. That was one of the most frightening experiences of my <laughs> life. And another pastor even said about him, he was just like, one of the greatest accomplishment I have with my Christian life is listening to a Paul Washer sermon. And never doubting my standing before God once. And it's just like another pastor said he was speaking in Spanish, wasn't he? He was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he really just like gets you like Paul. Like uh, it's a little pun. He scared the hell out of everybody. Literally. Mm-hmm. That's just what he did. Like he just did. He went after them. At times he may have been boring where it tells us in Luke that one time he preached a sermon so boring a kid fell out of a, out of the thing and he died. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just like it'd rather be boring but it'd be true rather than be exciting and it'd be wrong. Yeah. And that's where many thing like as those quotes, you know, many want to be a rock star of a church and not a servant. They're wanting to get into all that as well. And so the tree always produces fruit in line with it. It may not be clear initially, and it may require some lengthy and some intimate inspection. Ex- 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 we may have to be in our word because the word of God doesn't reveal itself to lazy minds. It talks a lot about the slugger, those who are lazy, and doesn't talk very good about them as well. So we know that we have to be diligent. It says, it says to meditate on it day and night because that's the only time a Christian has to meditate on it two times a day, day and night. And we just know we always have to be doing that. So if we're not, we're going to be reading it but it's not going to be coming in. It's an example of a cow, like how they uh, used to eat food and how they eat food. They chew up some grass, they swallow it, it goes and they spit it back up. They chew it again, It goes again. They do that four times, and that's how we're supposed to be doing it with the Word of God. But many times people just eat it. They just swallow it. They don't digest it, and it comes back not good at all. They don't take any of the nutrients from the Word, and that's why when they're trying to maybe go in it or they don't know they're under a false teaching is because they're not meditating on the Word as they should, and they're not looking at the fruits. They're just saying, hey, it sounds good. It feels good. I'm going to go with it. I like it. It's cool. And that's why they just go with it, and there's nothing for it. So therefore, we must not be hasty about accepting or rejecting someone I you mean, can't be oh no false teacher just because mm. they said that one thing it may just be a false teaching and they may come out like hey no they correct it but some people when we see it continuously they try to get corrected no touch not god's appointed and all that yeah. garbage and everything like that because for paul for the brains he was actually you know cross-examined by them and he didn't say touch not god appointed he called them more noble for it and so that's what we should be doing as well we should be reading the scriptures line by line and say god do I believe this or a modern remake of this? And once we do that, we will see where we line up and we will see, am I under maybe a false teaching, a false teacher, or a false gospel ultimately? Because again, if it's a false gospel, it's a false salvation based on a false converts and anything like that. It's very evident that we need to do that and we must patiently inspect his or her fruit. So a false teacher are identified by the fruit of their character. A false teacher is identified by the fruit of their teaching. And a false teacher is identified by the fruit of their influence. The one thing I did like the most though is they exchanged the, they'll exchange the truth of
0: God, but not God's love. Yeah, and, and that's spot on because a lot of people want to talk more about God's love than His truth. And, and as much as God's love is an important, vital part of it, yeah. If God is love, then you have, and God is truth, you you can't take one away from the other. No. You need both. You need the truth, and you need the harsh word sometimes. You need to be able to sit there and tell somebody what it is. We just got done doing judging others. You brought that up too. And it's it's okay for us to tell someone sin is sin, as long as it sticks to what the Bible says. And and there was another thing you mentioned about false teachers keep Jesus in the margin, so where Jesus isn't the theme or the the focal point of everything. In the moment, the moment I become the focal point of a message where I'm preaching, I've lost what I'm teaching. Yeah, it should be Jesus. It should be the gospel. It should be the reconciliation of my relationship with God to be brought into the family everywhere throughout the Bible. All of that is weaved through it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If if you read it right, you can find Jesus in almost everything you're reading. Because that is the center story. Reconciliation, what he did and what he's accomplishing and what he's going to do in the future. So anyone who's teaching falls out of that or where Jesus isn't the main point, they don't got the main point. Yeah, they're missing it. They're missing it completely. And I really like those two points because I think for us as as people, especially in America, when we listen to people who are teachers and preachers, and I'm glad you brought up the Bereans because I, I tell this to people all the time. You know what? If, if you're listening to me, check me. Yeah. Go for it. Look in the Bible. If I that. said something contrary <laughs> to what you know, bring it to me because I want to know. Yeah. I, I don't want to be someone who's saying something wrong all the time. I don't yeah. want to be stupid. I want to be intelligent about my word. And I want to make sure that what I'm preaching and teaching is accurate. And so I am all for that. And I think there are so many people who aren't, but there are so many people who don't actually put the time into God's word to dig in deeper. I like that illustration of the cow where it's just four times they're chewing on it and chewing on it because that's how we're going to be able to separate knowing a true teacher from a false teacher. It's because I don't come to church to necessarily learn. I <laughs> should know. Yeah. I come to church because this is where we gather. This is where we get encouraged and this is where we can strengthen each other in the body. So a preacher teaching to me isn't necessarily always teaching me something new about God unless they're going into like theological deep history. Yeah, yeah like, oh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> then it's something different. But really what they're doing is they're strengthening me for for that time together and encouraging me. So I think that's really the separation of it is that we, we've we got to know the truth. We've got to chew that thing up so that when I show up to church, I'm not showing up to actually, oh, I never knew about David and Goliath. What's this story? You know, it's you... not my
1: stone of faith. Yes. i not David. Right? Oh,
0: my gosh. Don't <laughs> even get me started to that. But, yes, all of that. It's, it's We should know that, and it should just be encouraging. So go ahead and, and uh, whatever you have left, I'll let you uh, okay. kind of so tie that in, and then I'll wrap up this episode. All right, but before you tie that all up, let's hear a quick spot from our sponsor, The Way App. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Always oh, lost. Constantly finding yourself on the roads that are filled with the masses amount of people? Tired of being led astray by those apps with false directions? What if there was a way to get yourself out of all these destructive habits? Have you been searching for something that will help lead you to the roads that are less traveled? Well, search no more! The Ways app will guide your life to the freedom you desire with real-time, up-to-date GPS that will lead you exactly where you need to go. The Waze app comes with a plethora of voices to direct you on your travels. Never be led in the wrong directions again. Choose the way.
1: Okay, so I'll finish this question right here. But yeah, just to go back to the truth and everything, it's just like when people look at um, his loving, mercy, forgiveness, gracious, and all that, they forget about his judgment, his wrath, and his anger. It's the same coin, just different sides. You have heads, and, ha- and you have heads and you have tails. You have that. And I know James White says if we look at the cross of Christ and we do not see God's wrath against sin, we do not see his love there either. We just don't. And it's just like with the truth and love, it says love and what? Deed and truth put together. And if we always get rid of one, we're going to be missing the mark. I think my father talked about that. What sin is missing the mark. It's not that like, we're not like a sniper. We're not an archer. We're not like a dart person throwing something at the board and barely missing it like that. No, we're someone aiming at the wrong target, looking the wrong way, facing the wrong direction. And the thing is we're hitting that. And when we're doing that, we're aiming at the wrong thing. We're not aiming at truth and love. We're aiming only at love or only at truth. And we're forgetting, no, it's both of them together. And it's totally just missing the mark. And that's what many people do today. It's a sad thing to see a lot of Christians uh, apologize for the wrath of God. Like it's something they need to be sorry about. It's really just sad to see that. It's just like, no, like that is not something to be sorry about or apologize for. That is the truth. Just go to the Old Testament. You see the hand of God working in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Exodus. You see all that happening. And uh, it's not because this is a time of grace that we are in. Where at a time of judgment, it will come and many people deceive themselves. There is no judgment. Why? Because the false teachers tell them there is no hell. There is no judgment. But if you go ahead and you look at the parables of Jesus, of the parables of the master with his slaves, and he goes on away and he starts beating them. He says, I will cut up to pieces when I get back. I'm going to cut you to pieces and throw you in there. And with the uh, 10 virgins, he tells them when they come knocking on the door, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Then when you get to the parable of the talents, he says, send him, you worthless wicked slave, send them into the outer darkness, where is the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And then you get to the one, the separation of the sheeps and the goats. It goes again to show the further judgment. All the ones on the left, which are the goats, put them into the internal punishment, what is set for the devil and his angels. So punishment is there, and it shows even further how much they're not in their word. Or this is what they're doing. I don't believe that in the word. Oh, I don't believe that. Or oh, and they themselves become their own god. In the last days, there will be love of herself. They will love pleasure rather than God. Not one or the other, like John puts it. They will love darkness rather than light. Light's not even in the picture. God's not even in the picture. They are their own God. And so when they're doing that, if they're picking and choosing, which a false teacher does, they proof text scripture. Oh, no, that's not what this really means. Oh, this is what it really means. Jesus didn't mean that. No, this is what it actually means and says. Or no, we're going to focus on this, not on that. That's proof texting it. And that's where we see a lot of them go wrong. So they don't believe in God. They believe in themselves. It's cherry picking picking, thats exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing. You're like, no, I'm not going to choose this one, not this one, and that's where it starts to go wrong a lot with it. To kind of finish up on that, Second Peter chapter two talks a lot about falsey. The whole thing is just designated to it. And actually, right before that, First Peter, we uh we get the two scopes to it. In Second uh, Peter chapter one, we read about genuine believers. Where in Second Peter chapter two, we read about false teachers. And again, it kind of goes what we'll be talking about the next episode about the truth and how the American Gospel puts it. For the first 30 35 minutes, it establishes the truth. Because how do we know it's false? Because we know it's true. We could be going to somebody and just like, you know, God loves you just the way you are. He made you for him and he just wants to be with you. All you got to do is accept him to your heart. Well, we know that's not in scripture anywhere. It says we're supposed to repent and believe in him. It's not by a prayer. And I know Lennon Ravenhill said again, the, um, the Lord's prayer has sent more people to hell than all the bars in America because people believe that they could just say a prayer and they're fine before they're standing before God. But it's actually, no, it says, take up your cross daily. It says bear fruit by keeping with repentance, yeah. not by just saying at one time, all that time. Cause whenever our walk with God is mentioned in the Bible, it's in the present tense, not past tense. If all our Christian living is past tense, we're in trouble. So the first thing I have for that is, one, it's a different source. It's a different source by which they get it. Where does the message come from? In 1 Peter 1.16, it says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We did not. They have it. They were eyewitnesses, as he puts it. Where in 2 Peter 2.3, it says what stories they have made up. So we see, one, where did the source come from? Where did the message come from? They have their false teachings and they exploit it with stories they just made up. So we have to check what is the source. So the true teacher's sources is what it says from the Bible, but the false teacher relies on his creativity. He makes up his own message. And we know a lot of false teachers, they are very slick tongue operators where they could talk and they could talk well, they could talk good and they can make it believable. But is it true? Is it real? Is it from the word? Are we going to be cross-checking and be like, well, wait a second. Is this what the Word says? Or are we going to be, you know what? Itching ears. That's what I want. Turn aside from the truth. Chase after. Again, it's a turning. I'm turning from the truth. Chasing after what I want to chase after. Number two is a different message. What's the substance of the message? And then, uh, again, comparing the Second Peter 1 and 3 and Second Peter 1, it says this in uh, verse 3. For uh, the 2 teachers. Before I get to the first, the true teacher, Jesus Christ, is a center. He's central. And this is what it says in one three. We have everything we need for life and godliness in him. That's where it just shows. Everything is in him. Where in chapter 2, verse 1, it says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. So we're seeing it's a different message. False teacher, again, Jesus is in the margins. He's not the center. He's not the source. He's a talking point rather than the backbone. And notice the word secretly. And there it says secretly rarely do you hear of someone saying yeah you know what i'm gonna be preaching you something different from the gospel they never say that they always say thus saith the lord and that's mm-hmm. very dangerous thus saith the lord or the lord told me is no substitute for it is written because again when jesus was there he said what it is written he yeah. could have just said god's telling you and it would have been true it could, but he said, no, he went back to scripture. Even when he was on a cross, when he was silent for six hours, he quoted scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalms 22. And the ending of that song is triumphant. So that shows us even in his deepest, darkest hour where everybody let him. It wasn't, uh, why has Peter denied me? Why has Judas betrayed me? No, it was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And still he went back to scripture. It is written. So he shows us a lot from that. That when we're in our th- in our trials and the hardest thing ever in mankind to happen, bearing the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, he still went to Scripture. It is written. So that's another thing, different message. That it needs to be Jesus at the center, his word at the center, the gospel at the center, rather than in the margins. A talking point, a reference point. It has to be the main thing. Moving away from the sensuality of Christ is very subtle. They slowly ease into it. They slowly start to do it. The false teacher will speak about how other people can help change your life. Now they're teaching about your favor, your power, your opportunity. They're teaching you about the power of you, not the power of God. And it's very subtle and it starts to sound good. You know what? can do this. I am enough. No, we're enough for the penalty of hell. That's what we're enough for. We need Christ to come. We're not enough and that's okay. Spurgeon says, when you find yourself to be absolutely worthless, know that you hit the truth because you don't deserve it. That's why it is grace. So we were not worth it. We were not worthy, but God made us worthy. That's what he did. We were not enough, but God said, I know you're not enough. I'm going to be enough for you. And then that's where we really see the true beauty of the gospel and of the Bible right there. That our best deeds were as filthy rags, that we were just dead in our sin. We were lost. We were we were blind. And Christ said, I'm going to make you see. I'm going to find you. I'm going to make you alive. Many people think that they're just broken in life. That They think their main problem is that they're broken. But no, the main problem is that they're dead. It says that we're dead. It talks about that. So many people think they just need to be fixed rather than revived. Mm. And so when they get that and they understand that I am lost, I am blind, and I am dead, they really see the gospel and the Bible for what it is. I am being found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I was blind, but now I'm seen. I'm lost, but now I'm found. I am dead, but now I've been made alive. And again, what could a dead man do? You know, nothing. Right. And so it, it just shows us right there that that is a thing, but it subtly goes away from that. They're teaching you about you, 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 and you start to like it. And so it's a different message. And then third, it's a different position. And what position will the message leave you? The true Christian, as says in 2 Peter 4, 1, says says a true Christian escapes the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It escapes it. but. In the next chapter, and 2.19, let's listen how Peter describes a false teacher. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So again, man's interest, not God's. The true believer is escaping corruption while the counterfeit, the fake, the false teacher, believer, is mastered by it. And again, it tells us that sin no longer has dominion over us. And so that's the thing. The person who has Christ will still struggle with sin, but the person without Christ will be enslaved to sin. It's just a very clear difference with that. People think, well, you're a Christian? You still get angry? Or, you know, you still have a thing with pride? You still have all this stuff? Well, yeah, like, I'm being sanctified, you know? I've been justified, you know? Right now, I'm being sanctified. I'm going through all of that. Well, it's justified, sanctified, and then glorified. I know I'm missing one. There's four of them, but that's just the role and how we're going through it all. And people forget that we will still struggle with sin. But we will not be enslaved to sin. We will not be mastered by it. So it's a different position. Then you have the different character. What kind of people does a message produce? What what does it do? The true believer produces goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's Second Peter 1 5. But in 2nd Peter Chapter 2, the false teacher, the false Christian, is marked by arrogance and slander. They are experts in greed, and their eyes are full of adultery. They also despise authority. That's all found in Chapter 2. This is a general characteristic of a false teacher. Number five, a different appeal. Why should you listen? To the message. Why should you listen to the gospel? The true teacher, the true believer, appeals to scripture, as it says in chapter 1 and verse 19. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. So it's telling us the truth. God has spoken, and the true teacher appeals to the word of God. The true Christians appeal to the word of God. But the false teachers rather make a different appeal, as it says in chapter 2, 2 Peter 2 18. By appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. So it's telling us like, yeah, they're going after those who do it. And we know how it ends in a chapter that those who get tangled up again of it, they're going to be twice as worse. You know, as the proverb says, like, dog always returns to its vomit and a washed pig always returns to the mud. That's what it's telling us of it. And it's saying that it's going after those people who are just wanting something that they could get rather than Christ itself. They're not looking for Christ. And many people, if you ask them, why are they in church? are looking for something rather than Christ. But God is gracious and he is merciful and he say, hey, your intentions may be wrong, but you're going to find me. Just like the lady who touched the garment of Jesus. She was thinking, oh, it's just this magical power because they were very superstitious back then. That's why when I saw Jesus walking in water, it's a ghost. That's why they were very superstitious. And so she was just thinking when she touched the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She was thinking it's just a magical mysticism kind of thing. I just got to do that. So people think we need to have the faith if I could just touch it. But actually, when Jesus turned, he turned to correct her. He turned to correct her and says, Basically, he talked with our, our theologian and scholars so for about an hour. He did it to correct her, but he says, now your faith has been made right. So many of us come to church looking for something rather than Christ, but then Jesus says, I know you weren't here looking for me, rather something from me, but I'm going to make that right. But those who do not want to be corrected will not say, no, God, I just want all the stuff. I want to be close enough to you so I can get all the things you you offer, but not you. And that's how you see how we've become very self-centered. And according to the false teaching and a false teacher that we just don't want Jesus. We just want what he has to offer. And that is what we just see from there. The false teacher asks, what do people want to hear? What will appeal to the flesh? And the last two is a different fruit. What results does a message have in people's lives? Ultimately, we know for the people teaching, it's a very big trap to, you know, study the word without doing what it says. It's a very big trap. You know, we look at it, we read it, we outline it, we study it, we teach it, we preach it. But sometimes we forget to do the one thing that it's called to do, to change us. And that's what the thing is, what state does it leave it in? What, are we changed by it? Do we produce that fruit? Or is it just up here, whatever, stooping down to the heart? Is it just head knowledge or is it heart wisdom? Because there's a saying that says a lot of people will miss heaven by just one foot. And that's the distance between the mind and the heart. What state Mm. does it leave us in? Does it actually change people's lives? The true believer, as it says in chapter 1, verse 8, the true believer is effective and productive in his or her knowledge of Jesus Christ. But, in chapter two seventeen, the false teacher is like a spring without water. What use does it have? Nothing at all. This is just a great picture of it. They promise much, but they produce little. They say, we're going to have all the desires of a heart, but forget that all of the desires of a heart are found in God, and they're looking everywhere besides where it's actually written in his word. You know, They look for power everywhere and everywhere, but not in words. They're looking for miracles and signs and wonders and healings. The faith of us is not in those things. It's produced by the spirit, and the spirit is talked about by the means of the word. And they're thinking they're looking for power everywhere else besides where it's actually written in the word. And they miss it entirely. And the last one is a different end. Where does the message ultimately lead you? So we talked about its end and what, actually it's, uh, what effect does it have in our lives. And now the different end. Where does the message ultimately lead you? And here we can find the most disturbing contrast of all between Second Peter 1 and 2. The true believer will receive in verse 11 of chapter 1 a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we will hear. But the false believer will experience swift destruction, as it's talked about, where it says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping, as it says in verse 3 of chapter 2. We will know them by the fruits of the character, teaching, and their influence. So those are the different things that we have right there from 2 Peter 1 and 2. And I feel like it's great to go side by side with. And whoever's listening, I would like to encourage to actually read Second Peter 1 and 2 Peter 2. And then go back to Matthew 7 and read verses 15 through 20. And the different things we just talked about is a different source, the different message, the different position, the different character, the different appeal, the different fruit, and the different end. That's how we could uh, start to, for the original question, for it was for the question, kind of went long on that. How can we tell a false teacher from a true one? Yeah. all those differences. Yeah. When
0: I look at it, I think of, so we have the teacher, right? Jesus. And when he came here, if you, if you look at, I think it's in Mark, he goes, he does all these miracles. He heals Peter's mom. He heals her. And then tons of people come in and he's doing all these miracles. And then he escapes by himself and he goes to, to pray Mm -hmm. and, and he's praying. And then in the morning the crowd gathers again and he says, okay, I've got to leave because I came here to teach. And what that told me was that if he came to teach, I came to listen. Mm -hmm. So I should listen to what he says. So that's the, to me, the perfect example of the true teacher. He's here to teach. And so many people came for the miracle and came for what can I get instead of what can I receive? And they were, they were looking to get something from God. Like the woman who touched the cloak, what can I, I'm going to get this from him. But he was here to teach us, to teach us how to be kingdom people, how to live the right way. And he he constantly gave us the truth. Yeah. Here is the truth. I'm going to teach you so that you can live this way when I'm gone. And for a lot of us coming to church nowadays, it's more of a, right, the, the power of Christ isn't in it. No. It's more the power of me. What can I do? Yeah. I can be a good person. I can get myself there. <laughs> and there's a lot of teaching that that follows that key theme of like, you are a good person. No, I'm not. I'm not a good person. Mm,
1: it's not one good, not one. If
0: anyone has really looked in the mirror, they will see that they're not a good person. If you really took take a self-examination, because that's the whole judging others thing, it starts off with self-examine yourself. So if I really self-examine myself, I'll see that I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. Like you are saying, I'm not worthy enough. But a false teacher would tell you, Yeah, you can do it, buddy. It's yeah. all positivity and it's all this and that because why?
1: God loves you.
0: Exactly. Uh because they they don't want they don't want to push you away because they don't care about your salvation. They care about your money or what you can give them. Gimme, give gimme. Give Exactly. So, uh, you know, that that that's just my thoughts on what a false teacher looks like. How can you tell the real one from from one who's not? A real one's actually going to proclaim what Jesus did. He's going to teach you exactly what Jesus did. He's not going to shy away from hard issues. Yeah. They're going to they're going to be there to to deliver the word of truth. And another one is just going to tickle the ear. It's yeah. just going to say what you want. And, and that's why we'll get into that a little later why so many people are flocking into that. But all right, well, let's wrap up this episode. Okay. I'm Chris for Robert. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. I'll be back soon. Yeah, I, I heard a pop when I.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Hippa and Crit. <laughs> thank you, thank you all. Crit, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about our organization and who we will be helping? You got it, Hippa. Well, tonight we've pulled the trumpets out for the
0: help us look good as we give to the needy organization. With so many people needing out there, we aim to do whatever we can to help and make it no secret when we do so. I mean, what a great cause there, right? You, the people at home, give and we are the ones that look good on your behalf.
2: That's right. And if you've heard enough and want to give immediately, you can call one 800 555 five, five, give that's g i v e we have several operators standing by to help answer your call for those of you who prefer to send your donation electronically venmo us at hippa and crit looks good 5 that's hippa ampersand crit looks good 5 maybe you're still not convinced giving a donation is the right move for you let us give you a little more information crit we know who the donations will help but what will these fine folks' money do to help the needy? Well, Hippa, with their donations, we're able to get together food supplies, clothing, and
0: other necessities. We then package that all up together with a card that says, from Hippocrite and friends. May God bless you.
2: That is so awesome of us. So, what are you waiting for? Get that left hand to tell the right hand to pick up that phone and call now to donate. Don't tempt us, folks. We'll keep babbling on and on and on all night. Our goal is to get that reward
0: in full tonight. So please pick up that phone and give because when you do, we look good.